Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the IoT Insider. I'm Bernie McPhillips, Sales Director of Pangea, and today I'm joined by Chris Ramika, our CTO and co-founder. Hey Chris, how are you doing? Hi Bernie, uh, how are you? Really good, thank you, really good. It's great to be on another podcast with you. Always enjoy it when we get the chance to do this. It's lovely. It is indeed, it is indeed. And today uh, we're going to be looking at how we've helped a partner um, using LoRa and NBIOT. So I'm not sure there's any other industry with as many acronyms as ours. Um, and today we're going to be looking at another. So LoRa, LP1, NBIOT, lots more acronyms. Um, so let's start by kind of just discussing what that is. So LP1, uh, that stands for Low Power Wide Area Network, I believe, Chris. I think that's right. Yep, that's definitely right. Um, I think most of the audience is probably familiar with uh, what a wide area network is. Um, you know, you've got local area networks, wide area networks, and now we've uh, we're throwing uh, a low power wide area network into the mix. So um, all we're really doing there is just saying that uh, we can connect devices over a very over a wide uh, a wide range from a kind of a, kind of a single antenna. Um, using low power. So it's kind of like, you know, your your AM or your shortwave radio um, using low power, lower frequencies, but having greater coverage. It's a much longer range. The signal can travel further. So it's a big, a big benefit. Yep. So it's LP1. What kind of, what kind of technology is coming in? Because I think LP1 is a bit of an umbrella kind of acronym, isn't it? I think it covers a lot of different technologies. So what kind of, what kind of things come under it then? It is, yeah. There's a few um, products that have uh, that, that are floating around. Uh, some are more popular in uh, countries than, than others. So, for example, the main ones at the moment are probably a technology called Sigfox, which is a proprietary technology. came out of France, and if you look at a Sigfox coverage map, um, France and the surrounding countries are kind of very well covered by Sigfox, just like an actual mobile network. Sigfox has made inroads into other areas, uh, into other countries as well. There's uh, there's coverage in the UK, for example. Um, then on the other side of that, we've got a technology called LoRa and LoRaWAN. LoRa is kind of a more prevalent technology, uh, I'd say, around the world. Um, part of the reason for that is that because uh, it's, it's actually an open standard. So um, you can get... Um, you know, you can get a partner to set up a LoRa service for you, or you can actually go off the shelf and buy your own antenna and base station and devices and, and build your own low power wide area network. So they're, they're the kind of the two technologies uh, which are out in the market at the moment. And uh, we've got access to both of them. Super, Chris, very articulate, um, well explained. So I'm just, you know, you're, you're very technical. Um, I'm obviously sales director here at Pangea and, and not particularly technical. So from, from kind of my own understanding and maybe some of our listeners then, you know, breaking this down into what it, what it might mean in the real world. We're all very used to um, cellular devices, our own mobile phones, um, mobile data, being able to access things while we're on the move. I'm probably all very used to how that kind of that network operates. You know, you're, you're within range of a cell site. You've got actually a particular SIM in your device, one of the UK network operators, for example, or indeed maybe one of our Pangea multi-network services. Um, and able to, to move across networks based on signal strength. So the difference between that and what you just described then, low power, wide area network, is that these services would typically be further reaching. Um, so you, to, for access to your standard cellular service, you'd have to be within a certain distance of a cell site. So you could be further away from a cell site and still get coverage, Chris? Yes, you can, yeah. So um, so talking more about Laura WAN specifically, um, yeah, you'll have one antenna um, and you can go, you know, 
for example, six miles, 10 kilometers, um, maybe, a, maybe a couple of miles less in a dense urban area, but you know, you've, you've kind of got a long line of sight. So if you have a couple of antennas and the technology has changed all the time, but you can have a couple of antennas set up and they will cover like, you know, for example, they could cover, you know, a large park, you know, or something like that. Like, let's say maybe one antenna um, could cover um, Hyde Park or Regent's Park in London um, and definitely you know, beyond that. So lower power, lower frequency, but uh, more more range and more penetration as well. So the, the penetration bit uh, is quite uh, interesting because that means that if you've got devices which are sort of three four floors down in a basement um, you might have something like an earth or water sensor um, or a drain sensor for sensing water levels and drains you know it's it's a few meters under the ground um, you know a typical you know 5g signal or 4g signals not probably going to penetrate that or it may be a bit bit iffy a bit spotty if it does but with a with a, a LoRa type service a low power service then you, you can you know you know get that kind of still get that kind of stable connectivity um, which is one of the key reasons for deploying a LoRa um, a low power network. Yeah, that's what you could come on to there, Chris. Actually, that, that as you were talking, I was really thinking about it, the low power element. So we think of our own mobile devices. We carry them with us. We take them home at the end of our working day, yeah. whatever it is that we've been doing, and we've got access to electricity. We can plug that device in. We can recharge it, and we're ready to go again the next day. Yeah. I think with mobile devices, depending on usage, sometimes you've even got to power it part way through a day. You know, top up if you. If you're, if you're a heavy user. So suppose the benefit of, of low power um, kind of networks and the ability to connect in that way is that would negate the need to charge that device yep. so regularly because these could be devices that are deployed in very remote locations. Um, I'm thinking of things like smart metering, smart lighting, asset tracking, moving more into smart cities where everything's going to be connected. Um, and one of the things that we're going to discuss today in one of our case studies is, is agriculture and kind of livestock monitoring, but it's really energy management, manufacturing, industrial IoT. These are devices that so you can't just plug them in and recharge them. Um, it would be logistically impossible for somebody to go out to these devices and visit them regularly enough to recharge them. So I'm thinking with low power, you know, you can, you can actually deploy these things and they could be in the field for months and even years in some instances. Yep, up to, um, you know, we've seen devices which can uh, last up to 10 years um, and obviously it's also about the size of the battery as well um, so that 10-year device I just said um, the one I had thinking in my head was one which uses those they call it a, a coin battery like the size of a one pound or two point two pound coin those sort of tiny tiny batteries um, and you know when we're talking low power and we're talking LP WANs um, these devices are actually specifically designed you know, to be as efficient as possible, um, small as possible. Um, so it's, you know, for your sensor case, efficient and also, um, you know, rugged as possible as well. You know, they're, they're designed, like as you were saying, to be put somewhere um, and set and forget. You know, they, they turn on, they start running. They might, you know, and depending on what they need to do, they might wake up once or twice a day um, to send information about pollution levels or water moisture content in soil. Or they might they might wake up you know once every ten minutes to send information about um, asset tracking for example so it's all about the use case um, and if you're looking at a solution it's all about looking at the portfolio of what devices are out there and choosing the right one uh, for your specific use case yeah it's great Chris and I think the way the language that you use in there would I'm sure resonate with with the listeners until the device wakes up 
because if it is a device that only needs to send a meter reading once a month for a particular utility, for example, the rest of the time the device is effectively sleeping and therefore not using yep. power. And that was what, what I imagine that is what also would enable that device to stay in the field for many years uh, and not re re need recharging at all. Um, and that does bring us on to suppose that you know, one of the things that I mentioned just a little bit earlier and one of the, the case studies that we've got on our website around agriculture and livestock monitoring, it's something that you'd, you'd never really consider when it comes to IoT, but the internet things, so about driver efficiencies, uh, making people safer, uh, saving money, increasing margins and yield and that type of thing. And it's a very, it's a very unusual, but actually a, a great uh, case study that we've kind of detailed on our website. So we genuinely did get an email in, it was Dan, our managing director. Um, asking if we could connect cows, and that's kind of where it all started from. And um, but if you think of the, what you've just been discussing there, Chris, being able to connect over vast dis distances, huge big parks, that type of thing. Farms, by their very nature, they cover many, many acres of land. So you're going to look be looking for a long range solution. The things that you're looking to connect and the data that you're looking to retrieve, it's not necessarily a device that you would you know take back every day and recharge and redeploy. They could be deployed for long periods of time, months or even years. So these were devices that were able to transmit um, very important information about livestock, and in this instance, cows. Um, so believe it or not, well, I'm sure it's very believable, cows are actually very expensive assets. You know, based on the breed, they can actually run into to many thousands, tens of thousands of pounds um, you know, per, per individual livestock. Uh, so the farmers want to be able to, to monitor that asset, its temperature, its well-being, its location. You can get alerts and geofences if, cows go beyond where they're meant to be or get lost or, or in some cases even stolen due to their value um, but you can actually then help to monitor the the, the livestock um, and their well-being their health um, their temperature making sure that they're not getting ill so you can then plan you know your grass fertilization ahead of time because you know where the cows like to spend their time you can separate sick cows from healthy cows uh, and then basically just you know rest easy knowing that um, your, your, your assets are being well looked after so, yeah, I think there was lots of reasons why you know, standard cellular connectivity, 3G, 4G, 5G, probably just wasn't going to cut it. The length of, so just you know, the sheer size of the, the geography that needed to be covered, all these acres of farmland, the length of time that these devices would be deployed for and not charged every day. Um, so we really went into, you know, looked at all the different kinds of protocols and the best way to, to connect these devices, didn't we? Yes, we did. And... Um... Yeah, we came down to uh, two options, really. Um, you know, so one option was narrowband IoT um, from past uh, case studies or information on a website or maybe a podcast. Um, narrowband IoT, uh, it's uh, it's kind of your low power equivalent or your, you know, uh, your, your, you know, your low bandwidth equivalent of, of a of cellular network um, in the same lines as LTE-M. So that's more about the low power aspect of using the cellular network, optimizing the cellular network, the existing towers, the existing infrastructure to sort of have a low power deployment, which is wider ranged, but still offering, you know, cellular like um, technology. Um, so there was a, an option to use narrowband IoT uh, and also LoRaWAN connectivity. So what we did is that we actually um, combined uh, both of them into a, a single device. So basically, you know, the, um, the cows or the customer, you know, who owned the cows had the option of, of using both, um, both solutions. Um, that was particularly relevant in the area where the solution was deployed because 
it was in a area of marginal reception. So, um, and it was in a unique situation where, um, you know, there was no base stations, but, you know, no, of, of any network. So, you know, you'd kind of get a bit of service here and there, but, you know, have a, if you had like a storm or some bad weather or a base station went down, you know, do your maintenance or something, you'd, you'd lose the service. So um, decided on a hybrid solution, um, putting up um, at, uh, the customer's own LoRaWAN masts in the area. Um, actually, only one mast is required to have a data transmission capability. But if you put in three masts, you start to get um, geolocation capabilities as well, because with three masts, um, and masts don't cost a lot in LoRaWAN world, uh, with three masts, you get to have um, triangulation. So you can actually start triangulating um, the cows, like where they are. So um, so that was the an added benefit of um, using LoRaWAN um, without having to use something which consumes extra power, like a typical thing would be to have um, implemented a GPS module. Um, but of course, anytime you implement something extra, it just requires more power, more batteries. So LoRaWAN had a great side benefit of being able to geolocate the cows in the various paddocks around the farm um, with just having three masts. That's super. Chris, is it while we're talking about connecting you know, these particular assets and okay these happen to be cows you know this form of technology you know we, we really believe that this is going to be critical when you know, you, you really bring it to like things like smart cities i don't think you're going to be able to connect everything with a smart city like drains and vehicles and lights and people and all of these assets and street furniture when we move them forward and, and to driverless cars etc it's not going to be able to connect all of those things in one particular protocol so that i doubt any single network would, would would be able to connect all of those things and perform at its optimum. So you think of all the different ways to connect, whether it's Wi-Fi, whether it's any form of um, LP1, like you've mentioned, LTM, MBIOT, LoRaWAN, etc. I think it's going to be all of those network protocols, all of these ways to connect, working in working together to be able to connect everything. Um, and that's because that's what the Internet of Things is about, right? It's just one big connected world and being able to connect um, and everything kind of communicates with each other for really kind of sim sim synchronized processes and efficiencies. It's not just going to be one form of connectivity suits all. I don't think everyone and of our listeners and certainly a lot of our partners, they're not all going to be falling over lots of opportunities to connect cows. But I think we're just using that particular asset. And okay, it's quite an obscure one, but it, it kind of grabs people's attention just to really demonstrate that anything is possible when it comes to IoT. Or regardless of the asset, there is the device that can monitor its location, its temperature, pressure, vibration, geofencing to let you know if it moves away from a certain location or doesn't move and it's meant to. Um, so regardless of what the asset is, and there's value attached to it or a mega inconvenience if it's misplaced or stolen or stops working, that's the future of IoT. And whether we're going to be connecting using 4G and 5G, or whether it's some form of, of, of low-power form of connectivity. I think it's all got a role to play. And it would be remiss of us not to talk about you know, the sunset of a particular couple of protocols, where there's certainly a lot of talk in our industry about the, the PSTN switch-off and the dates looming in 2025, and it's already well underway. Maybe not quite as prevalent in, in the press and maybe not getting making quite as much noise right now as also the 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 pending switch-offs of 2G and 3G networks across the UK and beyond as well. Yep. I think you know, as networks evolve, LTE, the very you know the, the the acronym, just another one, 
you know, long-term evolution. That's exactly what is mobile networks are about. They're ever-evolving. I don't think there's ever going to become a point where someone switches off the mobile network, like it's happening with PSTN, but they will continue to evolve. I think 2G, 3G networks now used a lot less as data, you know, data applications are really hungry for, for bandwidth. 2G probably doesn't cut it in an awful lot of instances, but it was quite long-reaching. It was very reliable, and there's a lot of devices connected to it. When you think about smart metering and some asset tracking, payment terminals, there's a lot of things out there that are 2G only. There are other devices that may be limited to 3G only. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done in the future, I would imagine, Chris, in terms of the, the switch off of those particular network protocols um, and then what to migrate to. So we've made a lot of um, we've made a lot of noise in our channel and certainly out to our listeners and our partners about the PSTN switch off and the fact that there's lots of choices. It's not just a G and it's not just fiber. There's lots of intelligent mobile data opportunities in there as well. I suppose the same applies to 2G and 3G. It, whilst people might just think the natural kind of uh, migration is to 4G and 5G and beyond, there's got to be opportunities for these low power protocols as well, right? Yes, there is, um, especially with with 2G. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, in a sense with 2G and 3G, um, we're kind of just missing out on something a little bit at the moment. So, um, you know, all the focus is on, on you know, advanced versions of 4G and 5G. Uh, but if you think back to 2G, um, you know, you can kind of, view it as sort of the old reliable service in a sense like like a pstn phone line um and you know sometimes you might make a phone call and it might be on a 2g network and it's um you know it's it's it, it can you can it works when there's one tiny little bar on your phone stuff like that and um you know obviously there's there's situations um solutions like lte cat m1 and NBIoT, which we mentioned earlier, but you know it is important to be just aware of you know things beyond that, uh, such as LP WAN. Um, so, for example, let's say you're in a country where there's a 2G sunset. You know, for example, Australia. That's happening right now, and you know you've got um, a, a use case. You know, it could be um, a fleet of you know dustbins in a shopping center car park. Uh, it could be a you know a bunch of you know street lamps. It could be anything. Um, you can look at it and say, okay, actually, you know, I could wait for, you know, LTE category M1 to come along and be deployed, um, or that could be for a couple of years away. So what you could do is go and look at the LP WAN solution um, and see if there's something there. Um, you know, it's always good to to look into it. And of course, you know, Pangea um, would be happy to, to discuss the requirements with you and figure out what the best solution is. Um, or back as in we did for the cows case study, um, we actually ended up with a with a hybrid solution, NBIoT and LoRaWAN, um, kind of future proofing the solution for the expected life. Which in these in these cases, um, you know, when we talk about these deployments, you know, things like street lamps, street furniture, you know, these deployments can last for five to ten years. So it's always worth having a good look at the technology available now. Uh, to cover the requirement and also what's coming down the road. Great stuff, Chris. I, I really like the fact that you finished talking about the length that these devices can be deployed at as well, because I'm always thinking with a you know kind of a sales head as, as would be expected. And I imagine for our partners, while some of these opportunities might appear relatively obscure, they're definitely out there. And low power connectivity, I think, is only going to grow as a marketplace as we move forward into a smarter world. Just being aware of its existence can often be enough. And having it in the back of your head that it's an option and then being able to get in touch with Pangea to support you through that opportunity. But I think of some of the other markets that our partners are involved in, 
um, that might involve shorter contracts. There's often a lot of regulation now around how, how long telecoms contracts can be. With customers having the ability to opt out and that type of thing. With IoT, one of the real benefits of it can often be the, the tenure of these contracts, the length of these, of these deployments. Um, so we've got contracts as long as 15 years, right? Smart street lighting deals, that type of thing, 15-year contract. So for our partners to be able to deploy these services and know that they're going to be out in the field for such a long time, very long guaranteed revenue streams. And with the volumes can often be quite vast as well. People don't tend to deploy these low-powered solutions for one and two devices. It tends to be you have many, many hundreds, if not thousands, in some instances, even way beyond that. So there might be relatively low revenue per service, but the volume can be astronomical, and the length of time that these services will be deployed can go way beyond what could ever be expected with more traditional telecom services. People don't typically deploy these things, and then after two years, they're looking for a new supplier. It is really about... Um, the, the, the quality of the of the service, the reliance of the, the, the low power, the range of the service, and just being the assurance of knowing it's out there, it's doing what it's meant to do, and there's not really a need to kind of do anything about it for, for a long period of time. So just a different way for our partners to kind of think about these opportunities um, and, and say the length of time that can be deployed, really long-term and very assured revenue streams. Anything else in terms you can think of, Chris? Any other good examples or anything our, our listeners and partners might want to be aware of when it comes to any form of low-power connectivity? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different use cases for LPWAN. So if you want to see some of those use cases, um, just check our website, uh, blogs, uh, you know, case studies about it. And I think, uh, yeah, the other part of it is, you know, just remember that is it is something that you can you know, one uh, one can deploy a, a LoRaWAN solution on their own. Um, so, you know, it is possible to get services um, off the ground just by going online and, and buying your own thing, um, which, which is great if you're technologically inclined. Uh, if you want a partner to work with you on that, to sort of do the heavy lifting, um, do the assessment and help you construct the solution and at the same time, make sure that solution's got um, a bit of life in it in terms of you know, other cellular-based technologies like NB-IoT and CAT-M1, uh, come talk to us uh, because we've got a lot of experience in the area. Um, we've got access to a large uh, portfolio of device makers. So, you know, helping helping you to engineer the solution, uh, that's what we're there for. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Chris. You know, if any of our partners or listeners want to help in hand and get started with their IoT project, all they need to do is get in touch with us via any medium. That's just giving us a call on our 800 number, making inquiries through our website. Um, if you're an existing partner, get in touch with your, in touch with your account manager. We're always here, we're on hand, you know, to, to give any, any pointers and, and support those projects. Um, and on that note, yeah, head over to our website for more information on our podcast, all of our blog content, as Chris said, real-life examples of how, how IoT looks in action. We've got lots of case studies, get people registered for, for our hub, for our newsletter. Um, you know, we promise not to bombard you, but we publish lots of great content. So please do get in touch and and stay connected to our content. And on that note, Chris, always a pleasure to do these podcasts with you. I always enjoy it. Another one soon. Always a pleasure. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody, and look forward to uh, publishing another podcast soon. Take care.